All right, everybody. Welcome to the 3 of 7 podcast. We got some really cool guests on for you today. I know a lot of you guys like these full-length interview uh, podcasts. I like them, too, so it's very special. Thank you, Glenn, for being here, and Laura, thank you for being here. And we've got Biscuit on the mic. What's up, Biscuit? Hey, guys. And we got Blake. Blake is going to, like, me and Blake are sharing a mic, so if you hear, like, and then Blake starts talking, you know I just swung it over there. I thought Blake was the audience. We have a one-person audience in here. That's a first. Yeah. It's our first (laughs) audience. So, um, yeah, super pumped. Glenn, man, you guys went PT'd this morning, right? We did. So, is CrossFit, like, y'all's thing? Is yeah. Do we have a runner in the house, Laura? Or I would I run, but I wouldn't call myself a runner. She's really good at that part. Okay. Sure. Now, so, when did y'all get into CrossFit? So I was actually talking with a buddy of mine that we started with, and uh, it was October of two thousand eight. So we've been doing it. I've been doing it for a really, really long time. And, this uh, wasn't Jeff, was it? This was not Jeff. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, a group of us, Jimmy Smith is one of them that works out with us Jimmy. now. Jimmy picked it up. And um, so Jimmy Smith, Bill Pardue, um, a guy named Chad Warner, who was a basketball coach at Shorter at the time. And a couple other guys were, we were out on, we would go into Shorter's uh, basketball gym in their weight room and we started doing CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And then we just picked it up. Got some other folks involved, and um, in 2011, we started the first CrossFit box in Rome, which was CrossFit UCS, when I was a headmaster there. And just kind of birthed. I hired Jeff. Our friendship happened, and here we are, you know, now how many years later? Yeah. Still doing CrossFit. Yeah. 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 So you've seen seen the sport, if you want to call CrossFit a sport, Mm -hmm. you guys have seen it change a lot, because I heard when CrossFit first started – it was like a really uh, almost like grungy, just in, people were doing it in their garages yeah. and just finding open space to do it. And now it's become a legit corporate type entity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's changed so much. And the things that we like, it's now professional, like a coach like Jeff comes in, he's got a master's degree in exercise physiology, like everything we do now has intent and purpose. When we first started, our intent and purpose was to crush each other. It was just whatever we could do. We'd do a workout and say, that doesn't look hard enough. We'd add weight. We'd do anything. It didn't matter if it was your first time doing it or your 50th. We were going to – you did everything that everybody did no matter what. And we ran a lot of people off from from CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah, so. Hardcore. What what resonated so much with you about that type of fitness? Like, you know, I – I'd been a football coach and a PE teacher and played division three college football and had always been interested in exercise and fitness. And when I started, um, when I became the headmaster at Unity Christian school, kind of took like three years off, just didn't do anything. And I had young kids and got to the point where I was realizing like my, I, my priorities were out of whack, you know, and I was doing a lot with the school and I was chasing after the Lord, but my body was just falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so I started running and just ran and ran and, probably ran 30 or 40 miles a week Wow! for me was, was great. And then one day on a Sunday morning, some friends said, Hey, let's meet before church and we're going to go do a workout at shorter. And I'd never even heard of CrossFit before and really had said to them, like, I'll do one, but I'm never going to do it again. 
And the first workout was 10 rounds of 12 pull-ups and 12 burpees. Oof. Oh, I, I like that. Destroyed. Ripped my hands, everything. <laughs> and I looked at them and I'm like, when are we doing it again? Like there's something about the adrenaline that it created inside of me. I've never felt that before at that level. And I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. It never stopped. Yeah. It's been, uh, and then we got Laura involved. I think she probably started about three years later when we started it at Unity Christian School. Well, that's all he ever talked about. So I'm like, if I'm going to have conversation with my husband, I'm going to have to start doing this. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. with me and running. Exact same. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I was about to transition and ask Laura, what the world, man, because I've been watching you in the gym for about the last two years. And you get in there and get slap after it in the zone. Yeah, I mean, you you you're not in there to hang out and, and chit chat. You get in there and get slap after it. So what what appeals to you about CrossFit? Um, I think that I'm just always busy. I'm always doing something. I can't just sit and do nothing. And I'm not close enough. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> oh, we're going to get her loud and oh, yeah, clear now. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. what she likes about CrossFit is that there's not this in her face. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like every minute I have is important, and I need to be making it worthwhile. So when I'm there, I mean, I know people probably think that I'm rude because I'm not stopping and talking and it's usually because I've got something else on my mind that... I thought you were rude for the longest time. Shut up. Yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's all good. I hear it all the time. Yeah. It's good. I'm all right with it. Um, That's awesome. Anyway, so when I'm there and I have that hour to work out, then I'm going to work out. So It's been a great supplement. People always ask me about cross training because I'm primarily a runner. That's my thing. And everybody asks a question about cross training. And it's, it is super important. I think that CrossFit has made me a better runner. As much crap as I intentionally talk about CrossFitters. You know why I talk crap about CrossFitters? Because it's really easy to get them riled up. They're really passionate about their form of exercise. And you can just poke them a little bit. And, man, they really give you some, some good feedback. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. But it's been a great supplement to my running for sure. I want to dig in and just understand who you guys are. Um, where where did you guys grow up, and how did you guys meet and begin this journey in life together? Just fate, I guess. <laughs> She's thanking God every day. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Massachusetts and moved to Rome in 1994 to work at Darlington School. And I okay. there as a PE teacher and football coach after I got out of grad school. And um, really never thought I'd stay in Rome. thought I'd be in, you know, for a year or two and move back to New England with my family. And, and that, that's really kind of what my plan was. And then in May, uh, April of 1996, after my, in my second year at Darlington, at the end of my second year, Laura and I got uh, connected through a, just a mutual friend that we had. And um, so we started hanging out in that April and um, really started dating probably like a month later and we that was we've been together ever since i was not a believer at that time so that was an interesting time i had um some pretty uh challenging behaviors that uh was always i was i drank a lot and um, that wasn't something that was part of her life laura was a believer and so that was a interesting thing at the time we met i had 
um, stopped drinking for a little while just to kind of see if I could sober up and um, was successful for about a month, which was just enough time to make Laura believe that I might be a nice guy. Um, so we, yeah, we said um, that he snowed me pretty I good. snowed her pretty bad. Yeah. I didn't know that I was doing that, but I was. And, um, so there was something that was, it was obvious and evident that there was something different about Laura that I had never experienced before. Mm -hmm. And so there was like this instant tension between the, the lifestyle I was living to the lifestyle that I was watching her live. And that mm. internally I started to desire, but I didn't know how to say no to alcohol. And, um, so the two of us um, battled a lot in that first like six or seven months. Now, Laura, are uh, you a Georgia girl? No. Okay. No. I'm a Tennessee girl. Tennessee. Oh man, I wish Chili was here right now. He would, he would like hearing you say that. What what brought you down to Georgia? Uh, I'm a speech therapist, and so I had I went to the University of Tennessee. I got my bachelor's there, and I took a year off. To in between getting my bachelor's and master's, came and worked in Rome. And um, that year that I was here is when I met Glenn. I was going back to graduate school at Tennessee three weeks later, I think, and I met Glenn. And so we dated the whole time when I was in graduate school there. And then um, three weeks after I graduated, we got married and I moved back to Rome. So here I am. Yeah. Both of my kids <laughs> at University of Georgia, and I still have orange blood. But oh lord, what can you do? That's she, a football reference, she right? Won't buy, she yeah. won't buy anything that says UGA or Georgia on it. She'll buy like Athens or like she'll she'll mention <laughs> the city. But y'all dang yeah. Tennesseans are almost as bad as yeah. Texans, <laughs> almost. Yeah, and with their sports, with their sports, and this the 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 pride in where they yeah. came from. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot. She has that. For yeah. Sure. yeah, I got it. So I, I have to ask, going back to Glenn's conversation, um, how was it dating and being married to a heathen? And a how heathen? did how did you convince him, or, or did you convince him? How did that go? Uh, how, for for Glenn to finally um, see who Christ was. Well, <laughs> so what happened? Um, he had was kind of not being so nice to me. I mean, just he's a nice guy just in general, but he was not treating me the way that I wanted to be treated. And so um, I guess I was nagging him about it, and he got tired of hearing it, and so we broke up. But instead of us breaking up, he said, I just need some time. And for a girl, mm -hmm. that's those words are – just enough to keep you hanging on a little bit. And so, um, but so during that time, we weren't talking, and you know, I was all feeling sorry for myself. And, and then I just started thinking, you know, it's, I don't know, one of my friends said, it's not that he's not treating you the way that you want to be treated. He's not a Christian, he doesn't know how to love you because God is love and he doesn't have God. And I was like, okay, so instead of feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to pray for his salvation. And so, you know, in my head, I don't know what I need time means. I don't know. Does that mean we'll eventually get back together? Does that mean we're done? I don't know. But in the meantime, I just started praying for his salvation. Mm. 
And so you want to tell the next part? Yeah, so, um, yeah. Well, I, I want to, before <laughs> yeah. I hear that, we just recorded a podcast before you came in, and we talked about, is it worthwhile to pray for someone who is lost or who doesn't know Christ, right? Essentially, is it worth your while to to beg Christ to reveal himself to someone that you know doesn't have that in their life, right? And so here, I think we're about to hear another yes. testimony that yeah. it is worthwhile. As a matter of fact, I think I said on the last podcast, if you ever sit down to pray at night and everything's going good and you just can't think of anything that you need, pray for someone you know that does have a need yeah. because it's about the most worthwhile thing that you can do with that time that you've set aside yeah. to pray to God. So I love that, man. Yeah, yeah, so... During that time, I was working at Darlington, and one of my duties was to take, I had to take, on that weekend, I had to take kids to church. So I went to First Presbyterian Church, um, and I sat in the balcony with a bunch of dorm kids from Darlington. And I can remember I was sitting, remember the student that I was sitting next to, and Dr. Flanagan was preaching, and for whatever reason, I didn't know that I needed the Lord, but that I just heard a message from about Jesus that I'd never, like, I felt like he was talking to me about the Lord. And, um, so that on that, uh, I went back to the, my apartment on, on campus and I was just like, man, something's different. Like I just, that message just never, never went away from me. So the next Sunday I didn't have, we were still not talking because for me, when I said I need time off, I was really kind of breaking up with her and just seeing, but, mm. but I didn't have the courage to just say we're done. <laughs> um, I was, coward way. yeah, I was, I was a coward, absolute coward. And, um, and I knew the minute I hung up the phone when I told her I needed time off, like I can remember crying, like sitting on my little futon that I had in my apartment, just crying, saying, man, that was the stupidest thing you've ever done. But my pride was way too high for me to say, mm. well, just call her back and ask for her back. Like mm -hmm. I was like, ah, time will be good. I'll handle it. And so anyway, go to church that Sunday, feel something different, go back the next Sunday on my own. I'm like, I'm gonna go sit in that same seat. I'm gonna just hear if this message is the same. And of course he preached a different sermon, but I felt the same draw, like, man, something's, something's different. And, um, so that Sunday I went back to my apartment and I just, I was, I remember laying on the, um, futon, just start, I never prayed anything other than the Lord's prayer, just casually. And I remember praying, God, if you just give me the courage to call her, just give me the courage to do that. I don't even know if I was going to say, you know, I'll follow you. I didn't even know what I would say. And literally while I was praying, the phone rang and it was Laura mm. and she, the first words out of her <laughs> mouth were not, Hey baby, you know, she was like, your time is up. You're going to tell me right now. I want to hear the words and I want you to say, we're done. And I was like, I don't want to do anything like that. I want to be together with you. I've made a colossal mistake. Will you please take oh, me back? That's and, crazy. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I just yeah. needed the closure. Yeah, she was wanting closure. And I was just like, I mean, so literally in the midst of that prayer, instead of, and I never got the rest of that. Like I never prayed anymore about that. And then. Um, I would say it's, so that was in like mid November of 1996 in early December. I don't have a date or anything like that, but I can remember I was laying in my bed one morning in my apartment. We were now talking. We hadn't seen each other yet. And I woke up to a, what I felt like was the audible voice of some of God or some, something saying you're going to follow Jesus. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And I kind of just listened to, I was saying to myself, what did, what just happened? And I heard a voice again, just say, you're going to follow Jesus. And I just instinctively said, I'll, I'll follow. 
And I, and I remember getting in the shower and getting ready for work thinking, what just happened? Like, I don't feel the same anymore. I went to my office. I went to work. One of my best friends that I'm still brothers with to this day. And I said, hey, man, I had this experience this morning. Like, Can you help me think through this? I knew he was a Christian. And he was like, well, brother, I believe you became a Christian this morning. And like, I, my life has never been the same. It's never the trajectory of my life has never it's never gone backwards in the way that it was. And so like my yeah. life became ministry at that moment, whether I was in ministry or not, everything I did in that, from that moment on, now I've had my battles and we've had our battles and, um, I, you know, had, to, I get, had to manage that the struggle with alcohol, but yeah. So I just, I became a Christian at that time and yeah. Yeah. And then we got engaged during that time and, and got married. So to answer your question, we, never were married where he wasn't a Christian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all, thankfully all that worked out before we got married. Did you, did you see that shift in Glenn? Oh yeah. yeah. So that was visible to yes. you. Yeah. Like when I would say I didn't like the way he treated me. I mean, he would say things to me like, like he would walk way ahead of me. I mean, it's silly oh, stuff, but he would walk way ahead of me and I would be, and you know, I have short legs and I'd be behind him and I'm like, you know, wait on me. And he's like, if you're going to walk with me, you're going to have to speed up. <sighs> Can't even believe it. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, so embarrassing. that's hurtful. Yeah. So, but anyway, after that, he just, I mean, if you know him now, you know that's not him at all. Glenn, don't be embarrassed. I used to do the same thing, and I still to this day catch myself doing the same thing. Uh, like if I catch myself doing it, I'm just like, right, go back and hold her hand. Like, just walk, like, walk with her. Like, this is... This is what you love about life. Yeah, yeah. man. And Stupid. I can't wait to hear, like, we're we're building up to a big battle that you guys are facing right now. And I'm listening to all of this just thinking, like, I wonder how important that is, what we're talking about now. Like, has it become more important? We'll get to it. Well, yeah. I, I love, yeah. I too love the part of Glenn's testimony where, like, he said the Holy Spirit was basically calling out and saying, you are going to follow Christ. He didn't he didn't hear he didn't have some thought of like, oh, you're going to start reading the Bible more. You're going to start not drinking as much. You're going to start um whatever the the act was that you thought might have been holding holding you back or or the world might have been it was no, it was a simple call. No, you're going to follow him. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And then all those other things will just fall into place eventually, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If because that's what Christ called everyone in Scripture when he approached a disciple. Let's say Matthew. He approaches a tax collector that is just hated by everyone. Mm -hmm. And what does he say? He doesn't say you better clean up your act. And no, he just says follow me as the, the exact design. Mm -hmm. So. Yep. And I wholeheartedly believe that that was as a result of my prayers for him when the Lord said, pray for his salvation. Yeah. Because we had had many fights where he would say, I'm not going to be your, the choir boy you want. Mm. Those exact words. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now he's in that, here wearing a shirt that says pray uh, on the front. I can't sing though. I'm not, I'm not in the choir. <laughs> yeah. I'll never be the <laughs> choir boy, but. <laughs> Blake, did you have something? Okay. I saw you get your pen and paper out. After, oh, okay. After this season, how was life? How was marriage? How was the kids? And what was, you know? I'm sure it was real easy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
That's a, that's a broad question, yeah. Biscuit. I that's just okay. I'm yeah. so anxious to move to <laughs> the main reason they're here because I have a lot of questions, yeah. and I just this is just me being. Well, go ahead, Boo Boo. You're shoot. You're you're well, the po- you're the podcast co-host. Uh, the listeners love when Biscuits on the podcast. By the way, because I can just sit here and uh, you're I not can capable. just sit here and talk not, all day long. You're not capable of that. <laughs> and, oh, you can. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Biscuits. She likes to get down to business. Yeah. I just have. So I would love to know. Like, I want to transition into what season were you guys in with your first diagnosis? And like from the beginning, how did you find out and what was that like with the family and with your marriage? And that's a, that's a, I would also like to hear the answer to that. And, and also for the listeners, what was the first diagnosis you're talking about? I want her to say it. I don't want to say it. Okay. Sorry. My turn to talk. Okay. Um, so my diagnosis is GBM, which stands for glioblastoma multiform, which is a type of brain cancer. And probably the worst brain cancer diagnosis you can have. Um, I was diagnosed in August of 2020. I am 49 years old right now, so I was 48 when I was diagnosed. Um, I would say... As everybody always wants to know how I found out what my symptoms were. Um, it's pretty funny because now it's funny. But I really, when things were happening, I wrote everything off. I mean, I was like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. But now the point that I'm at, any little thing that happens, I'm like, oh, my gosh, is that a brain tumor? Is it back? Um, but... So, as far as symptoms go, um, I was, I would say, I was, okay, sorry. Um, Like, I could not, I couldn't type. Whenever I would start typing, the words did, what was coming up on the screen did not look like at all what I had typed. And I shared a room at work with somebody else, and I was like, I cannot type. I don't know what my deal is. I've been typing since I was 16 years old. And then my texting was terrible. You know, my kids were like, Mom, what are you trying to say? And I'm like, I mean, what's the problem? Mm. I was folding laundry, and so I'd try to get the towels to come into the middle, and they wouldn't meet. They were. It was like I couldn't figure it out. Um, or t-shirts to fold a t-shirt it just blew my mind um, we had been in I think the first time that I realized something was wrong was when we were in we'd gone to Daytona for a CrossFit competition and I got in this new backpack and the straps on it to put it on my back I could not figure out how to make it work I had to get my daughter to help me the whole time we um, were at the airport, and I had to put in my credit card to pay, and I could not get it to go in the right way. I just couldn't figure it out. Um, my daughter and I had gone through a drive-through, and 
Yes, it was Taco Bell because that's my favorite. <laughs> Don't judge me. At least it wasn't Bojangles. <laughs> that's true. I like Bojangles. Too, anyway, <laughs> oh my gosh! I really want a shirt that says "Body by Taco Bell." That's like my dream. <laughs> um, but when we went through the drive-through, um, my daughter Ellie, she said, "Mom, you're up on the curb," and I was like, just blaming it on the design of the drive-thru I'm like well it's really tight you know I just totally had an excuse for everything I never really thought that um that anything was wrong with me um now looking back I'm like oh yeah that was a red flag and like walking around a corner I would always hit my left side on the wall Mm. um I look back in my journal and in May I wrote it was one sentence and it said weird things happening on my left side and during COVID I work in a school system and we were closed but I was still having to do speech therapy over the computer and I remember sitting at my table and I just felt like I had spider webs or something on my left side like I just kept pulling I'm like there's nothing there and then I think one morning I told Glenn I said I keep putting my shirt on backwards. And mm. he was like, okay, that's not normal. All these other things I've kind of justified. I'd even mentioned to my doctor, I'd gone for a, just a yearly checkup for um, for my insurance stuff. And, and I said, look, you don't have to write any of this down, but I just want to tell you, I kind of got these spiderwebby feeling things and he was like, okay, and he's like, do you have any neck problems? And I said, yeah, I keep a knot in my neck. I'm always stressed out. And and he was like, okay, well, just keep an eye on it, and if it's um, if it gets worse, we might need to do a, um, some kind of test to see if it's like a pinch nerve or something. And so um, I even made the joke. I said, I said, we're not thinking brain tumor or anything, are we? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And he said, just remember, bad things get worse. And I was like, okay. I don't know how that's supposed to make me feel. And so, turns out, bad things do get worse. And so, when I told Glenn about the shirt, he was like, okay, we need to, we might need to do something about this. And so, we called a friend of ours um, from the gym. You know, he's kind of like our doctor person that we call for everything that's a great thing about our gym yeah 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 i don't i didn't know if i was supposed to say names or not so that's up to you (laughs) yeah okay um so glenn called him told him some of the things that i was feeling and he said yeah um we might need to get it looked at and i don't know what he was thinking at the time you can probably i don't know what he thought but he's like yeah let's just get it looked at um so, um, it was the first day of school with the kids that the kids had come, like not my personal kids, but the kids at um, the school I work at. It was the first day, and I had an appointment at, I think it was at like 5 o'clock or something. I don't know why it was so late. I don't know if it's because they had just fit me in or what. So, I went in for a CT scan, and... I walk in, and um, I get it done, and the lady says, so have you ever had a scan of your head before? And I said, no. And she's like, okay. 
And then they do the scan and they get done and she says, okay, so you've never had a scan done on your head? I said, no. And then she's like, okay, well, just go have a seat back in the waiting room and we'll have the radiologist read it and we'll come back and get you. And so in the meantime, like I'm really thinking nothing. I'm just oblivious. And so Glenn is texting me and he's saying, um, where are you? Why are you not at the gym yet? And I'm like, I'm still waiting. And so, um, at this point, everybody has, the thing, everything's closed. Um, like the waiting room area is closed. Everybody's gone. The receptionists are gone. The people are there cleaning with their little carts. And, huh. and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just waiting. And I, I, I'm, I literally didn't think anything was wrong. I thought, yeah, they're just reading it, no big deal. And so um, somebody finally came back out, and I went and asked them. I was like, okay, I'm waiting. They told me to wait out here for a little while, and they said, oh, hold on. They went to the back. It just kept taking forever and ever and ever. And then finally this lady comes out, and she said, Miss Gatchel, can you come back here with us to this I think she said dark room or something, which to me does not even make sense why she would have said that. And if she's listening, I'd like to tell her not to say that to people. (laughs) That's um, good feedback. Yeah. So at this point still, I'm just, I'm not thinking brain tumor. I mean, I'm thinking, what the heck? Okay. No, I don't know. So I go back and she says, well, the doctors have seen something on your scan. They think you need to go to the emergency room. Do you want to go to Redmond or Floyd? Mm. Those are the words that mm. were delivered to me. Nothing. They didn't give you nothing. anything. Nothing. So I have no idea what's going on. They've seen something. Well, what does that mean? Am right. I about to stroke out? I mean, I have no idea what that meant. So I think, I'd like to phone a friend. So I um, asked her if I could call somebody, and she's like, yeah. And, of course, you know, they were wanting to close things down. At this time, it's 530, Mm -hmm. 6 o'clock. I've not talked to Glenn, but if I need to go to the emergency room, I don't know where I need to go. And so um, I I called my friend from the gym, and I said, um, this is what they've told me. And he says, hmm, okay, well, give me just a minute. Let me make some phone calls, and I'll call you back. So I'm sitting there with that lady, just me and her. I don't feel like I can call Glenn because I don't have any information to tell him. I don't want to get him freaked out. And right. He's already freaked I, out. I have no information. Yeah. I have no information. And so I just sit there, and I wait and wait. For my friend to call me back and the lady's like well where do you want to go and I'm like I don't know I'm waiting I don't know where to go and so he calls me back and his words were I've talked to the radiologist and we have some things we need to deal with and I'm like okay and he says you have a five centimeter mass on your right parietal lobe and you, um, we think that you need to go to Redmond. 
And so I say, okay, you know, I have just enough information and I'm like, okay, I'll take what little information I have and I'll go to Redmond. So I get in my car and I have no clue what I'm feeling. Like I'm not really, I'm just like, I don't have enough information to melt down yet. I don't know what I'm dealing with. I don't know. I'm just taking one step at a time. So I drive myself to Redmond, and then at this time with COVID, you can't just walk in. So they have like a little kiosk of, you know, a little person standing out by the door, and he's like, you just check yourself in. And so he says, well, what are you doing here? Mm. And I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? I don't even <laughs> yeah. know. I, what do you say? What do you, I don't mean, at this point, they have not said tumor they've said mass I mean I don't know is that the same thing is I mean I have no idea so um so he says what are you here for and I'm like well they sent me from Harbin and told me um that I have a mass on my brain and he's like okay so I don't know if they've sent my stuff from Harbin yet. I have no clue. I'm just walking into an emergency room by myself with a tiny bit of information. And so they take me in. They sit me down on this little couch. They start taking blood work. And at this point, so, you know, it's all wearing the mask. And so at that point, I was... So thankful that I had my mask on because I think that I was in shock. Like my body just started shaking like uncontrollably and I just start bawling. I think I'm just like so much in shock. My body does not know what to do. I don't, you know, I have my limited information and it's just, it was a lot to process. Um, yeah, that had to be a scary evening and you're still by yourself at this yes. moment yeah. right okay. yeah so i'll let so then we can say what glenn was doing on his end <laughs> so like a lot of people have said well why didn't you go do that ct scan with her and and the reality of it was is of course i asked her and told her i would be i, I mean I, I do everything we kind of do everything together so i typically would have gone but we just did not think it was a big deal we literally thought she had a pinch nerve in her neck and that was causing all the symptoms and mm -hmm. um I, I work at Barry and I was, I can remember driving by Harbin and just like saying a little prayer, like, oh yeah, my wife's in there. I'm going to meet her at the gym. My son was getting ready to leave for college, go back to school. So we were kind of getting one last workout in together. But like, as time was going, as I was driving over to, to the gym from, from Barry, I, I kind of just had a sense like too much time has gone by for this to just be nothing. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but my instincts were telling me this isn't good. And so I go in the gym um, our doctor friend is in there and he's, he's working out and I kind of make eye contact with him, but I'm like, well, if he's not coming up to me, then he doesn't know what's going on. I'm just going to ignore, I'm not going to let this, I'm not gonna let my own nerves impact me. And so I'm, I can remember I was warming up with Will. He was just sitting there. We we're just talking. And at this point he knows that mom has getting a scan, but we hadn't even told our kids that something's wrong. We haven't said anything about our, to our kids that she's even having this scan. Cause we, we didn't think it was a big deal. And so Will and I are warming up and I'm like, Hey, yeah, your mom's, she's getting a scan. Um, she's, you know, she's been having that problem with her hands and 
he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's no problem, you know. And I, and I said, but you know, I haven't heard anything yet. I'm getting a little anxious. And in the meantime, that I see Kelly outside. Kelly's our doctor. Our friend. doctor friend on his phone pacing, and I'm like, that's ah, not good. Like mm-hmm. I just, I just knew. And so um, I think at some point you did text me and say, hey, they want me to go to Redmond or Floyd. Kelly's trying to figure it out. And so then I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I looked outside and I'm just watching, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm watching Kelly pace back and forth on his phone. And I have seen him do that for, for seven years, knowing when he's talking about something medical, like he's out on the phone pacing. So I kind of, I came out the front door, looked to the right, and there he was. And he looked at me and I could just tell like, this is not good. This is not good. And so he and I, he goes like, Hey, let's just go for a walk. Mm. And it was just, so I walked down to the end of the, to the hundred meter mark. And, uh, he turned, we turned right towards the, tr- the back trail. And I don't even know, I can't even now remember what he said. He's just like, there's a mass, you know, he kind of gave me some typically, this is what we're dealing with. We got to get her to the doctor. Well, you know, over to the emergency room, she's on her way. You know, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I, I, at that point, I'm numb. Like, I go, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And I know now what's going on. I know more than Laura does because he had just got off the phone with the radiologist. So now I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I got to get to her. I got to get to her. So I got to go in and tell Will, hold it together to tell my son, mm. hey, man, things, you know, th- they, they found something with mom. I got to, um, I'm going to, I got to go to the hospital. And he's like, okay, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll stay here and do the workout. He's he's got like this incredible, like his faith is unreal. Like he doesn't, like he doesn't get rattled and he didn't get rattled. He was just like, all right, we're going to be fine. We're good. I'll stay here and do the workout. You call me when you get there and we'll manage it. And so another one of our friends, Emily from the gym, she's like, I'll drive you. I'll drive you to the, I'll drive you. She's one of Laura's best friends. Walk through us this whole thing with us. So she throws me in her car and we start driving to Redmond and what's really, this is kind of funny, but we actually, we're driving to Redmond, which means you just go down to the end of the road, you take a right, you take and onto Broad Street, take a left onto East 2nd, and yeah, I mean, you're right at Redmond. Yeah. Somehow we end up going down Broad Street. We end up on Riverside Parkway. She's so rattled. I'm so rattled. I don't even know where we are. We're, mm. we're, la- we're like, why are we going this way? She's like, I don't know. I'll get you there. I promise. So anyway, we get there and Laura's in a room. I walk in and they let us in, let me in the back and Laura's in a room and at that point, there's like three nurses, a, a doc, the ER doc, and we're waiting on a neurologist. And yeah, yeah so she's and you had started shaking. She right? is still in that like yes, in shock. I mean, when I walked in, I was like, "Oh my!" Yeah, gosh. my body was yeah, just shaking was, uncontrollably. Yeah. Like wow. I'm sitting here noticing that I've yeah. started doing like not so bad, but I'm like, I don't yeah. know, kind of feeling all that again. But is um, this the first time you've told this like to other people? Um, probably at this maybe level. to this extent, probably. Um, sorry to interrupt you. No. Yeah, and and I I am so respectful of the courage that it takes mm-hmm. for you guys to do this, and the value in this is to hopefully one day help someone who is going through a similar struggle. It will never be exactly the same as yours, but the value is, man. This is how they reacted. This is what they went through. This is how they were able to come out the other side of it. So it's just so, so valuable. And I respect the courage that you guys have. I just had to put that out there. It's been a year and a half. It's just now getting to the point where it's manageable. Um, So when I was in the emergency room, 
the ER doctor that was in there um, came in and, like, obviously I know this is major, but um, the, the ER doctor wanted to pray with me, which was wonderful. Looking back on it now, I'm like, okay, that red flag that this is really bad because, you know, this is not just my gallbladder or something. Um, you know, the fact that he was praying for me, I'm like, which is great, exactly what I needed. But red flag at how big this was. And then they said, okay, I mean, it was so fast after that. We had, um, they came and got me, took me for an MRI, um, did some more scans just to make sure that it wasn't other places in my body. So they were just trying to see if it was straight up brain cancer or was it cancer that had started somewhere else and had spread to my brain. And so I guess it was a good thing that it was straight up brain cancer um, because I don't know. But um, so um, then they said we're sending in a neurologist. And so um, he came in and met with us after he had looked at the MRI and, I mean, just the way that it all happened was just so God-ordained because I went back to my MRI, and it's just crazy how things just stay in your head. Like, I remember exactly what I was wearing when I went in there. You know, every year at my school, we get brand-new T-shirts. And there was this one shirt that I loved. It's called Butter Yellow, and um, and I love really that shirt. That well, you looked really cute that day. I loved it. I mean, I remember exactly what I had on. And, um, you know, now if anybody at school wears that shirt, I'm like, I mean, I just have flashbacks. But when I went into the MRI machine, um, there was a lady there who was running it. And um, I actually had served one of um, her children at my school. So it was a mom and that I knew and she was just an angel um, that was sent. She was so calm and peaceful, and just she just was perfect for what I needed right then. And then, um, so then the neurologist ends up coming in after the after he sees the results, and um, and I remember like the elephant in the room being, "Is this cancer or is it not?" and I wasn't thinking that. I was I was just thinking, okay, the next step is brain surgery. I was not, I'm telling you, I know that it was God totally just, you know how people say God's not going to give you more than you can handle. I don't know if, if that's true or not. I believe that he gives you what you need at the right minute. And whatever you're carrying if you can't carry it, he carries it for you. Mm. So, like, I could have looked at the big picture and thought, oh, oh gosh, am I going to have to do chemo? Am I have, what am I going to have to do? If I would have thought about all of that at that time, it would have crushed me. If I would have thought about every single thing, it would have crushed me. So, instead, I think God said, okay, I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I'm going to go, and now... You just deal with this 
with what's in front of you right now. So I wasn't thinking cancer. It's almost like I was just kind of just sitting there just watching everybody. Yeah. I remember looking at Glenn's face, asking the doctor, do you think it's cancer? Is there any way that that is just a tumor, it's just a mass, and it's not cancer? And he was, his face was like he was pleading with that doctor for him to give him some hope that it was not cancer. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at Glenn, and I didn't have those feelings. I mean, it's, it's like I, I really think that God didn't, he was carrying it for me and not allowing me to feel all of it because it would have crushed me. Yeah. And so I think, but I just remember watching Glenn, and I remember the doctor, he never looked up. He looked down the whole time. And he said he never would say that there's not a chance it wasn't cancer. He didn't say it was, but he just said it looks very suspicious that it is cancer, but we don't we won't know until we get the pathology reports. And so I was like, okay, well, so this was Thursday night. So I said, all right, on Saturday, my son is moving into his apartment at Georgia. And I need to move him in. And um, the neurologist said, uh, no. And I was like, yeah. So he was, <laughs> I'm like, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. And so um, so he left and he, he came back and he said, okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let you out of the hospital because they admitted me that night. And he said, typically, I would keep you in the hospital for because they were going to schedule the surgery for next Wednesday. So he said, typically, I would keep you in the hospital until and prepare your body for surgery. And he said, but I'm a parent. I know that this is important to you. I'm going to let you out if you follow these guidelines. And I'm like, yes, sir. And so, um, so I got out and um, went home and moved Will in on Saturday. Um, is there anything you want to tell about any of that? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the biggest, where Laura was being managed, like I felt like my role was to be, like immediately I was in the big picture. Like Laura mm-hmm. was in the, God's going to take care of me every moment. And I felt like my role was that I now had not just Laura, but I had my kids. I had, I had to, you know, kind of like, I feel like I was on this massive runway and I had to land the plane and I don't know when I'm going to land the plane. Like I still feel like I'm on that runway and my job from that moment, the second that I heard any of this, it was just like, all right, you usher, like you're going to usher your wife through this process and you're going to usher your family through this process. And so for me, like I was asking those questions of the doctor, not because I, I needed to know like what was it going to be about my life, but I was trying to like gather as much information as I could so then I could process and say, all right, so this is what life is going to look like and this is how I'm going to lead my family during that time. And so it was like, as I was worried about her, like it was just more of a, those questions and that, that moment and watching Laura go through that, it was like, okay, this is my burden to carry. This isn't really her burden. This is my burden. Like as the husband, this is my role. I, this is what I've been like been created for this moment. And so I was in a instant, like big picture vision. How do we get through this? Mm-hmm. How do we manage it? What do we, what do we do to help her? 
only have to stay in the day every moment of every day. And so, yeah, that was my, my whole mindset was masses amount of information coming mm. into my brain yeah. and then saying, what am I going to do with this? And how do I, how do I like help her in any way that I could? Did, so I uh, think we have to talk about Ellie now. Oh yeah. Cause she will not be happy if yeah. we don't yeah. talk about yeah, her part yeah. in it. But so Ellie's our daughter and she's, um, how old is Ellie? She's 19 now. Okay. But this, my diagnosis came on her first day of her senior year in high school. Mm. And she's also dealing with um, one of her best friends who's battling stomach cancer at the Same time. time. And so, mm. so she shows up cause we were going to have this family workout before Will goes off, goes back to school and she walks into the gym, and you were gone, right? I had left. And so she asked Will, you know, where's mom and dad? And Will's, Will had to break it to her that I was at the hospital. And she's like, wait, what? She's like, I didn't even know anything was wrong with her. And so she was not very happy about that. Um, but anyway, um, so what part? Were you going to well, ask me a question? I, I have to say, that's a. I have to point out the beautiful example of teamwork that you guys just discussed right there because in any team, at, at, at any time, there has to be someone that steps up to the plate and maintains that battlefield picture. I just think it's a testament to, um, to you as a, as a leader of your family that you were prepared and you chose to step up and get, we call it the battlefield picture, right? Um, and, and knowing that you now just became the manager of these pieces so that you can able enable all of your teammates to do what they need to do in the moment to get the job done. And it's just a beautiful example of how a family has to function. And that person who has that battlefield picture, that can switch at different moments in time and yeah. different struggles, and it doesn't always have to be the same person. But um, it's well, just... Speaking about teamwork, I feel like we have to mention another part of our family, which is Hamza. Yeah. Um, so Hamza is our 26-year-old Palestinian who's been living with us since... July. July of 2020. So a month before this. this yeah, event. a month before this that. happened. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I won't get... He's going to do a podcast with you one day, so he can tell all his story. But yeah, he knows he has an open invitation. Yeah. He wants his English to get better. <laughs> yeah. Excuses. Yeah. Yeah. So we tell him. Yeah. Um, but he, he's been like an angel for our family. He is the most incredible guy, and... So, you know, he didn't, his, his English was still limited when all this was going on. Um, but it's almost like he stepped up to, to help us in any way he could. And just to keep us grounded, like his mindset, he just, he knows hard things. Mm -hmm. He's seen hard things and, um, just his ability to stay calm in it, to help keep me calm during all of it was just a godsend. Mm. And how random is it that a month before you guys get the diagnosis, you have a Palestinian CrossFitter moving into like what? You know, I know. That's, I know. The odds are, but 
I wanted to ask you, like, so the weekend going into moving Will into college, what did him and Ellie know coming out of that weekend? Did they know anything more than? No, at that point, we just knew that it was a mass and that I was having brain surgery on Wednesday. And that was just a biopsy. Was no, that- this was t- a resection surgery so that we were going in to, to try to out. take the mass out. Yeah. So before even knowing whether it's cancer or not, they're like yeah. planning on removing it. No matter, right. yeah, it had to come out. It was yeah. growing. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, and, and two, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the story that the part of your story that you just told and how everything about your life, your role, your, your responsibilities, um, your future literally got shifted in one evening. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just trying to wrap my head around the speed of it because Mm -hmm. you, you just, thinking about you know and listening to you laura and you saying i'm going to do this scan and then the next and i'm in the emergency room it's like you don't expect that you expect to go have a test done you go back home enjoy your evening and then you have a follow-up appointment and just that that speed in the way you described it is is, i'm trying to wrap my head around it so um good on you guys it's a what a testament mm-hmm. <laughs> i just can't say it enough what a yeah. testament of the, the team you're surrounded by so um go ahead baby sorry babe so yeah. fast forward to surgery day or the days leading up to what was because how risky was the surgery yeah <laughs> what did they tell you guys i didn't ask a lot of questions uh, it wasn't like a, I, I don't think we went into it there was always like a natural thought of well she could she could die. Like, I mean, you're going into somebody's brain. Something could go wrong. It was supposed to be a, um, interestingly, the, the surgery was on my birthday, the day that they had to do it. So that was interesting. Um, and it's COVID. Mm-hmm. So the world is just shut down. The hospitals are like, it's just, an, it's crazy. But, you know, like the Lord had put people in our path. Um, so we knew um, the anesthesiologist at Redmond. We, that's one of Laura's best friends. The nurse anesthetist is another one of my best friends. So he was in the surgery with her. That's nice. Um, the, the CEO of the hospital, his relationship with our doctor friend. Like, so I got to be in the hospital waiting room. And then the yeah. lady that ran the, that waiting room was one of my friends from church. And I worked in the operating room for a little while. So I knew her really well. And, and they let Ellie come in. And then I had friends at work, like friends at work in the hospital that would come by. And so the way I describe yeah. it is I felt like the Lord had rolled out the red carpet for me mm-hmm. when I got there mm-hmm. because people that we used to go to church with that I hadn't seen in years standing there. When the double doors open, this girl's standing there smiling at me. Mm-hmm. It's like they knew I was coming. Mm-hmm. It was like, it, I don't know. It just felt like God was welcoming me, yeah. welcoming me. Yeah. And just to see one person after another, after another that we knew that was coming in. And I mean, this is crazy, but this is what I hear about now, but there's pictures of it, but friends from the gym, they showed up with a fire truck. There was a fire truck at my surgery and there was a a tent. It was like a tailgate party. People were sitting out there in their chairs and just coming by and, and my friend Emily was there. She said, I felt like I needed to have a, a book for people to sign, like a, mm. a receiving book. And um, just people that were coming by to check on me. And it's just crazy because you don't 
I don't know. I don't think of myself as being important like that. And I don't know, but it was more that not how I, how people in the world feel about me, but it's the way that I felt like God felt about me. Like he was saying, come in here, sister, I've got you. Mm. And I don't know. I still, when I think back to that day, I feel him mm. when I think about it. So were the nerves there or was that kind of overshadowing? I really, I don't feel like I did. I felt like, okay, what's the next thing? It's like CrossFit. It's like you don't think about the fifth movement you're going to be doing. You think about the first, then you think about the second. You don't mm-hmm. think about down the road. You just think, okay, I have to get through all of these movements and then I'll move it on to this one. So that's, I was just like, okay, let's go get this surgery done. It's like you were on a mission almost. Yeah. You were surrounded by your, your, your platoon and you were on a mission. And that's what I called them. And I was like, you know, I felt like I had an army of warriors that were there to protect me. You know, I have to say, by the way, that didn't happen by accident. Uh, you know, obviously the Lord had his hand on orchestrating that. But but also, that shows the investment that you guys made into your community, Absolutely. into your relationships, into your friendships, into people. Uh, while you had the capacity to do that, probably for decades, right? You know, the Lord deals with me quite often on how I treat people and how I interact with my community because it's easy. I I'm in this position where I reach a lot of people which takes away from how I pour into the people that are around me, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't, but it does. It's easy for me to get lost in, well, let's reach a hundred thousand or let's reach a million. But what about the people in my community and that community and the way you're spending time and pouring into the people that are actually in your life, man, that, that can pay dividends. So, you guys are making me think yeah. because what a return on investment yeah. you guys got that day. So you know, I don't know. I was thinking, you know, when you think about that, everybody has like at a moment, everybody has a role. Like everybody has a purpose. Like I, I think of you and I think, well, man, that guy can go run a hundred miles. Like I can't do that. I probably could if I, if I change my whole lifestyle and just, that's what I want to focus on. But like our whole life has been centered on, one relationship at a time, one moment at a time, one experience at a time. And so we've never, like, I think in big and I dream about big things and love having, like, big vision. But God, like, it's it's always like he brings, he brings us back to, like, an individual, a moment in time, a family, a person. And so we find ourselves a lot just in situations where like I'm, I would love to have the vision to do, to build a ministry with a, that reaches a million people. That would be awesome. But every time I think I'm supposed to do that, God's like, uh, no, come on back here. Like that guy, that guy right there, that Palestinian, (laughs) who's going to love a Palestinian. If you don't, who's going to love that person that whose life is abhorrent to the Christian faith, but you will. So I want you to do that. Let somebody else manage all that other stuff. But I need you on the ground Mm. managing this one person at a time, one experience at a time. And so like, no matter what I want, it's like God just smacks me back. Says, yeah. nope, get back where you're getting yep. your lane because that's where I need you to be. And, so, and I would so argue, not to like compare and contrast at all, but I think that's almost more valuable than reaching millions well, on a surface level. The point, you know? the point is 
that it is no less valuable. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. the reason we make this point is because so many people get discouraged, especially in ministry, when they're trying to share the gospel and they think, man, I'm just reaching one person or two yeah. or three people here, right? Yeah. They get so discouraged, right? But what you need to realize, if you're just reaching one or two people, you can have a deep, deep and meaningful relationship, right? So don't get discouraged if that is what God has called you to That's do. Right. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't call you to stand in front of 10,000 people or have 100,000 Instagram followers. Maybe he calls you to focus on individual people that he has put in your path for a reason don't yeah. that that's the point in making yeah. this right. um observation i guess you'd say i want to get back to you guys yeah, story I'm, I, sorry. I'm staring at you like burning a hole through you while you're talking so oh, much I know. like <laughs> let them finish yeah love you uh, there's just a, a lot to be gleaned from from even the conversation up to this point so trying to maximize it yeah um i keep thinking this is back a little bit, but I don't know. I feel like I need to say it. But um, when, um, so 12 years ago, Glenn's best friend, Shane Richardson, passed away from cancer. And um, we've just learned a lot from that. And one of the major things that I learned during that time was um, I I was at work when my friend Deanne, Shane's wife, called and told me, um, that things weren't good and I went into the bathroom at work because where else do you go to have a meltdown when you can't go anywhere away from people is you go to the bathroom so I went in the bathroom and I remember crouching down and just and I rock when I'm freaking out and so I was just rocking and saying I don't know how to do this I can't do this I can't do this and I audibly I mean, I heard God say, do this with me. And I've carried that for so long, and it gets me through so much. And the weekend that I moved Will into college, uh, into his apartment, um, every the rest of the family had gone off to get something, and I had stayed back, and I was trying to hang his shower curtain. And my left hand was not at all it wasn't it wasn't working with me and I remember I couldn't get things to work out I couldn't it just wouldn't work out and I remember just crying saying I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this same voice said do what you can and so now I've got God saying telling me do this with me and now he's saying, do what you can, and I've got the rest. Mm. And so I just feel like that's so important because now, you know, I feel like I'm on a little scavenger hunt in life. And just the thing, the bits that I learn, you know, I just pick up a little piece of information and I take it with me, you know, from step to step to step, you know. It's just what I, you know, it's what I'm picking up and taking with me on my journey. Um, but anyway, so... We'll fast forward to surgery. Um, so the surgery was supposed to be four hours, I think. Um, it ended up being seven because there was a big vein that was running through that, that he didn't expect, and he had to work around. Um, and I guess I could have stroked out if 
um, if things went bad. Um, and so after that, um, I mean, everything went well. He said that he, it was a what do you, total gross gr- resection. No, gross total resection. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, means that 90, at least 97% of the tumor. 98. 98%. So <laughs> yes, that 1% is important. Yeah, it yeah. is. When yeah. you're talking about yeah. cancer cells. Basically, any visible signs of the tumor were removed. Okay. This, this type of cancer, like they call it tentacles, like it has um, like the, the style, I guess you could say. It, it has tentacles that go off into the other parts of the brain around the tumor. So you can't dig, because because of the brain, you can't get margin on the tumor. Mm-hmm. So they have to get what they can see. So everything that he could see, like just painstakingly, like second by second, just picking that thing out, um, stood there for seven hours and just worked around it. I, I was getting text messages from my friends in the operating room saying, this guy, like it's unbelievable what he's doing, like the time he's spending, the attention to detail that he's putting in, which you would expect from everybody, but the fact that he just, like it's, I feel like in a lot of ways God used him too to give us the time that we've had because if it wasn't, the, if he didn't get everything that he got, then it would just be, it would just grow back. And so yeah. it's nice to, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah. So gross total resection yeah. seven hours later. And yeah. that was August, 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, um, so I had to stay an extra day in the hospital yeah. because there were some bubbles or something, air bubbles on my brain. And so every morning I had to go in and have a, MRI to make sure they were gone but um I think you were out in within three days weren't you yeah yeah, yeah. and I kind of got in trouble by my doctor because yeah. the <laughs> physical therapist <laughs> again yeah. the fi- so they would send a physical therapist in and to let me you know get up and walk and I felt good they'd wrap this belt around her waist and make her walk with it and she's like what are you doing like what is this belt she's like look what i can do because you were doing crossfit like the week before right uh, yeah the, like day before. the day before the, we yeah. found out she had the surgery she was doing overhead squats like she's she was doing everything that <laughs> everything you can do like we don't yeah have, we i don't mean have i really problem. felt fine except for that just left that left uh, side just the perception that i had but um anyway yeah so this is funny oh uh, yeah so the so physical therapist is so, in the room working with her and and so i asked if i could do some air squats <laughs> and less than 48 hours out of, of brain surgery and so i did a couple of air squats and it felt fine and they told on me they told my doctor that i was doing them and so like yeah so that was she great. also in the operating room or after the surgery, we're in the post-op area and they let us come back there and we're talking to her and she's like, I want to do a handstand push-up." The Probably not a good idea. That's, yeah. The doctor's like push-ups. looking at me like, is she, is she serious? And I'm like, well, she's under anesthesia, but he's, she's like, but she's also do. serious. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know how serious she is. And that, we get to that part of our story here at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she's asking the doc if she can do handstand push-ups already. While she's just out of surgery. Oh, that's great. Made us, made us know that her uh, sense of humor and her uh, mental faculties were all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a great relief. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, keep going. Well, so then I'll go to the next Tuesday. So this is just, you know, surgery is on Wednesday. Tuesday, we had to go meet with the doctor for the pathology report. Yeah. I feel like you should cue the music to go. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. 
That was a hard day again. I mean, I was nervous, but like you said, I was on a mission. It's like, okay, this is the next thing. You know, it's like, all right, got through the surgery, check. Next thing, pathology report. All right, so we go in. I mean, I'm totally expecting cancer. They have not given me any reason not to think that. And um, so we go in and um, we sit with the doctor and he just flat out tells us that it, what kind it is, which is GBM. And, um, and so I don't really, really remember what else he said. Um, I remember that I got to the point where I could finally ask him a timeline because he wasn't talking about that. And, and so, again, he just kind of looks down, and but I needed to know. And um, so, and I don't know if you've read anything that I've written. I always stay away from the numbers. I don't talk about the numbers because the numbers get in my mind and they control me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't talk about them, but I feel like I probably need to say it now just so that people kind of understand, but he basically said 12 to 18 months. And as soon as he said it, my first thought was, I'm going to be a rose on a pew at my kids' weddings. That was my first thought. Mm. Um, so that part was very, very hard. Again, I was so thankful that we were wearing masks because at this point when he when I thought about my kids that I wasn't going to be at their weddings that crushed me um and then um it was like okay well so what do we do now you know and it just felt like a this is a weird analogy but I felt like somebody Remember in school when you used to have like a straw and you'd spit um, paper wads at people and they was just like, <laughs> you just sit there and just hit people with them. Yeah. I felt like I was having paper wads just spit at me like boom, 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 boom. Like, like, I don't know. It's like, I felt like I had been punched and didn't know how to react. Um, I remember Glenn reaching over and getting my hand and what that was a bad decision (laughs) um and then it was like okay well let's just I need to get out of here I can't breathe I need to get out of here and we got in the car started driving home probably 10 minutes to our house just that 10 minutes was probably the worst 10 minutes in our marriage just the raw emotion in the car, the crying, the yelling, it was just unbearable. Um, And then, so I'll tell you this, this is so cool. I want to read something to you. So everybody (coughs) knew I was going to get my diagnosis that day, and people were texting me, my phone's going off, but I'm not checking it. And... um, 
I have it laying between my legs and I can feel it vibrating and I'm like I just I can't do this and we pulled up in our garage and we sat there for a while and then when I got to the point where I could just look at my phone the first thing I saw was from something that a a friend from the gym had sent me and this is not like a close friend at all but she sent me something and it said Lord give me strength in my weakness give me faith in my fear give me power in my powerlessness I'm trusting you amen and when I read it I just of course I'm already crying I lose it even more because I felt like I know I give a lot of analogies, but I love the Hunger Games movies, and I love the part where where they always have something going on, and just at the right time, some you know it would be like dun dun dun, and they would the music would come in, and then they would send in exactly what they needed, whether it was a salve for you know they had gotten stung by the bees or whatever. That what my friend sent me was that it was salve. Mm for me for my soul for what I was going through right then I mean it was like what she wrote give me strength give me power give me faith everything that I needed it was like I mean I didn't know this lady that well and she sent that and I was like God sent that he sent that to me as salve to help me deal with this mm-hmm. um you want to talk about how you were feeling? I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, I thought too no, much. No, no, no you're doing perfect. you're doing yeah, great. It's your story, it's a yes, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and the way you tell it is just powerful. It I is mean, you're so powerful. Really good at telling this. Um, it, and yeah, I mean, Glenn, I'd like to understand what I mean how you were feeling from an emotional standpoint yeah. because um, and 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 what eventually however you're feeling, what got you out of it to where you could move forward with being who you knew you had to be. So I think like going into it, I, I had already decided in my mind that it was going to be GBM. I had talked with Kelly and like kind of said, okay, if it is what it is, what are we going to do? And so like the, the shock of the, of hearing the number was hard to hear, but still I'm trying more thinking, how do I help Laura through this? Like, um, the car ride home was the first time I can think of during the, from the moment that I heard it to the, um, to that point that I started to think about like, well, what would my life be like? Like if my wife's going to pass away in 18 months, like I, I, I'm, I don't want, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be single. Like we're just entering into the right state. Like this is our kids are in college and like, we're about to have be able to go do life together. Like we're, we love being around each other and having fun. And I'd been, I think for years and years and years, as much as I love my children, I've looked forward to just Laura and me just having our time together, just doing whatever. And so like I was seeing this dream in that moment, driving home, I can just remember like Laura saying something like, I don't want to not do this. I don't want to not be with you for life. Like I want to, like we're supposed to be on the, porch drinking lemonade together you know like and she made those comments and i'm like well heck i don't want to i don't want to not like have you by my side for all this so that was the first time like i let myself feel just this 
enormous sense of potential loss. Like I just could not even fathom. I think it was really probably the first time like I broke down at a, at like just allowed myself emotionally just to let go. Um, I get that. Yeah. yeah you, you allowed yeah, yourself to yeah, your, yourself yeah. to enter the equation of your yeah, mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, I just, now it's real. Yeah. Like I've been now told. It has a name. Yeah. Yeah. And I, right. Even right from the start, like I knew, okay, numbers are man's. God's doesn't work in our number system. He never has. And so like, that was like, I, I wasn't worried about the, the time it was, I like got out of that. Like, okay, you had that moment. And then I started thinking immediately, well, let's like, let's make this the best, like whatever we got to do to make it the best possible time. If she has 18 months or we end up with 20 years, like this shift kind of went on to just say, all right, we're going to make it the best. We're going to do mm. everything we can do to like, so my mentality was more, from that moment, like I broke down and I can remember going in the, like I had to call, we had to talk to kids, had to talk to my parents. We had to talk to our, her family, which we didn't do right away. Um, there were all these like dynamics that we had to just mm -hmm. manage through. And I think you just, I don't know, I can't, I can't even recall like after that moment of walking in the house, like another emotion where like I've had my moments where I'm, where I worry about what the future might look like, but I don't recall it being an extended period of time. It's almost like once I stepped over the threshold to go back into the home and after getting out of the car, it was like, okay, I'm back in go mode. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't give myself time to like worry or like I do worry and I find myself anxiety. Sometimes I'm like, man, I must be depressed. Something's going on, but yeah, I just, you just don't have time to stop and, and think about <laughs> that. I don't, I just haven't been able to, you know, like I just, because it's not, I mean, cause I think about it like this, like if, if Laura had a short period of time, well, then I want that to be the best short period of time she's ever had. If she ends up with a 25-year, 30-year, you know, we do get to drink lemonade on the porch together, then, man, like, what a, like, we just, we had this moment, it entered into our life, and then we we took a different perspective for the rest of our life, no matter how long that is. And so, like, we have an unbelievable opportunity in front of us, no matter what, because of that. And I think that's what's, what has sustained me. And I think that like, I just went back into go mode and I didn't go into worrying. Like, I had to figure out like, now I got meal plans. Now people are bringing us meals. Like my daughter and I, Ellie and I went, she was unbelievable. Ellie's like so gifted with like organization. And so she designed a, a notebook and a system. Like now I got to pay the bills. I've never paid the bills. Lars pays the bills. Like there's all these little things. And Ellie was like, all right, let's sit down. We're going to get organized. I'm going to let you operate in your gifting. Let me operate in my gifting. So Ellie and I tag team that. Mm -hmm. just, yeah, just managed it. What yeah. What was it like telling the kids? Oof. Did y'all tell them after you left the garage? Were they inside? They know? were actually. They were at school. No, Ellie was at, yeah, Ellie was at school and Will was at, um, at Georgia. So, um, yeah, we just, you when know. We they, got home. Uh, I went to bed yeah. because I was drained. Um, and still it hadn't been that long since my surgery. Yeah. So I was tired. And then when I woke up, she had gotten home from school and I will never forget her face. Um, and you know, they, they painted a very, very bleak picture for me. And so my thought was, what am I going to, am I going to fight this? Am I going to go through all of this? if I'm just going to die. I mean, why am I going to go through all that if it's inevitable that I'm going to die? 
And so I remember telling Ellie, I, we've not ta- we don't know what the next plans are, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm, I do not want you all to see me in bad shape. I don't, with brain cancer, I don't want to go crazy. I don't want to, I don't want y'all to see me like this. So I may not, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she looked at me with these horrified eyes, like, how could you not fight this? How could you not fight? Like I was just giving up. And I said, Ellie, I'll tell you, I'm not going to give up if they tell me there's a chance that doing this is going to help. But if it's not, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do that to y'all. I'm not, I don't want y'all to see that. And, um, I think it was maybe the next day we had an appointment with Dr. Dillman, the oncologist, and Ellie went with us, and she painted a picture of hope for us. Mm. Um, And I think that helped Ellie. It really helped all of us because we didn't feel like there was any hope when we left. Um, But then when we went to see the oncologist, she's like, yeah, I have a patient that's what, 11, 11 years, years into this. Um, and it's like, oh, okay, well, let's do this thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Literally, whoever that patient was that was 11 years in was the, all we needed to hear. It's like, and so when you yeah. talk about if you can help one person, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because I had, I didn't even know that. Per- I didn't even know that person. <laughs> and that was the hope that I needed. Yeah. And then there was another lady who found out about me. She lived in Augusta. Augusta. And she was three years into it. And she called me. And um, and then there was a man who was 72, who was like 18 years into it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now we got something to work with. And mm. And so whenever I would have my bad days and start thinking – okay, this is really bad, I would just be like, nope, think about these other people that have made it and are still going, so. What what did those, when you say bad days, like, are we talking, like, treatment? Like, once you, did no. you? No, I will say, physically, I have been, I've been great. Um, mentally has been the biggest battle for me. So, when I have a bad day, I say, it's a mental battle. Um, Usually always is. Yeah, it was the worst part of it. Um, physically, like even during chemo and radiation, I went to the gym every day. And I never felt like not going. There was one day that I didn't feel great. And and I got to the gym. I told Jeff, I was like, I'm just not feeling that great right now. And he's like, I said, but I do not want this thing to win. If I don't do it, if I go home, then that means this thing has won. Mm. And I'm not going to let it win. And he's like, get on the rower, just row, do it and tell me what to do. And I was like, okay. Because then I, in my mind, I did something and I didn't let it win that day. But so a bad day is when I'm, it's weird how Satan attacks me because it's usually through, when I'm looking for something positive, um, like if I'm 
if I think, okay, I'm going to read this person's story that has survived it for five years. Okay, I'm going to read it. I'm going to be encouraged or I'm going to listen to this podcast of this pastor who had a brain brain tumor and I'm going to be encouraged by it. So I feel like I'm doing the right things, trying to, you know, be positive. But whenever you, this is what I've learned, whenever you're reading somebody's story, the bad stuff is at the beginning and the good stuff is at the end. So I always start reading the at the beginning because that's where you read. So I start reading it and they start telling their story and it's always GBM is this. Here's the statistics. People don't live past the, you know, it's just horrible stuff that you read. I already know all that, but then it just gets in my head and then it spirals. And then I take their story to be my story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, get away from that. So I just, that's usually what it is. It's usually something that I've, you know, a little fact, you know, I was, I was following on Instagram, like, again, for encouragement, like the GBM foundation or something. And, you know, they would post some little fact or something or stories about people. And I would get on there and I would read it. And again, I would spiral. And so I'm like, I had to unfollow them. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm trying to do it for something positive and it's destroying me. Mm. You know, after I would do that, I would start planning my funeral. So I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. So those are the the bad days, like going to our friends' children's funerals. I mean, fe- oh, that was bad. No, going to their <laughs> weddings, you know, very, very hard for me to sit there and watch, you know, them as a couple watch their child dance and sitting there and I leave and I cry because I'm like, I'm not going to get that, you know? Um, but that's what I would have said before. I'm not necessarily saying that now, but those are the feelings and that's, that's what makes me have bad days. So the chemo, you did chemo radiation with an oncologist for how long? Um, the first, the radiation was, six weeks and I had to take chemo at the same time that I was doing it. My, the chemo I had to take was oral. So it was just pills that I took at home at night. Um, so, and then I would, I had a month off and then I started chemo again and I would do it five days on 25 days off and they would increase the doses every month. It would get stronger. Um, and she had to wear, and then I had to wear a device called Optune. And I said, I told myself I was not going to call it stupid because it could be helping save my life, but, um, I did not enjoy it. It was a little bit traumatic for me. Um, it required me to, um, shave my head and I had to shave it every couple of days and then I would put these electrodes on my head that were attached to this battery pack that would I had in a backpack that I had to wear and um I always tried to find a hat to cover it up and it was just it was I don't know it was very hard it was just had like a four foot tether in the back so like these four pads that she had to wear on her head all had wires on them 
had to braid them together. Uncomfortable. Them. Yeah. What yeah. was the purpose of that? What was so that? it's like a, it's supposed to have, it shoots like magnetic or electrodes through her brain. It's supposed to confuse the cancer cells to keep them from being able to regrow. Mm. And so the studies say that if you wear this for the six months that you're doing chemo, then it increases your like survival rate um, by like five to 10% over what the statistics say. And so it's a, um, it's kind of a newer, it's the first new treatment for GBM in over 30 years. Cause wow. the, yeah, cause the, the type of cancer, cause the survival rates are so low, they don't, doesn't get a lot of investment money for research. And so it's just, it, there's very little that's going into it to help people live longer with it because so few people have that opportunity. Well, so. well I, I have to, I, I know Biscuit doesn't like me doing this, but, but I have to go back and point out something because Laura just gave you a masterclass in the most essential thing that you've got to seek, the most essential thing that you've got to have in order to get through this life, and that is the will to fight. You have got to have the will to fight. And if you can't find that within yourself, you need to seek something or someone that's going to help instill that in you. And you need to cut out everything else that's doing the opposite or eroding away at your will to fight. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, 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 you've look in seal training, they, in seal training, they would beat me. I literally had instructor an instructor one time lift me up off the ground by the collar of my uniform. This guy was about 6'4", and body slammed me into the sand in front of all of my peers, right? And it literally concussed me. And finally, when I realized what just happened, I just got humiliated, right? He, want, he was looking for one thing. Would I find the will to fight within myself? Would I, would I just choose to get back up? Simply get back up. Nothing else. That's all he was looking for. And Laura just put it in such a beautiful way because we are all going to find and come to moments in our life at some point, I guarantee you, where you don't have the will to fight within you. You just can't find it. Well, guess what? I guarantee you there's somebody around you that can help you with that, that can give you encouragement. And if you're that person and you see someone that has just is in that place where they just don't know if it's worth it to just get back up and just take a single step, give them a word of encouragement, man. It ain't got to be a dissertation. Just tell them there's hope. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and so much like, it's just, it's being willing to just come alongside somebody. And where I know I'm like, tired <laughs> up. Laura yeah. just did her face yeah. like, yeah. You know, and it's not, and it's because. It's we, essential, man. It is. And, and something that's hit us a lot in this process is, and we alluded to it earlier, but it's, it didn't just happen the day we found out about the, the diagnosis like we didn't all of a sudden figure out like oh gosh like we got to turn to our friends we got to turn to the lord we got to we got to do whatever it is you got to do like it's 
it's in the midst of like all the mundane of life where you're doing, you continue to with the same habits. You continue to, you get up every morning and you get in the word. You, you do the things you're supposed to do so that when the, like, you don't know that you're prepping for a hard time, but they're coming. You know, oh, there's yeah. something coming no matter what, like this is, we didn't, we didn't know on the 13th of August that we were going to be facing this, but we also didn't wake up on the 13th of August saying, man, well, if something ever did happen. I hope we could be, we could figure it out. Like, mm. We're never on our own in this process. We're not saying that like we figured out how to manage it, but we've been prepping for this our entire lives. You know, like I, even before I was a believer, like things that I'd gone through, the, I can see now where the Lord was using those things to prep us for mm. like parts of my personality and parts of my skill set that were he, God was developing so that I could be ready in the mm -hmm. time of trial. And you know, this isn't our it's our first personal like life or death struggle. But it's not the first time we've walked through it with us or other people. You know, like this is this is just we're just doing what we know to do because yeah. we've been practicing it all along. And you can't just you can't wait. You can't just think, oh man, when the times get tough, I'm just going to figure it out. Right? It don't You're work not that figuring way. it out. No. Yeah. Yeah. So no. don't be that person. And, and you know what's even worse than that, Glenn? Is there's a lot of people that are walking around that don't believe times are going to get tough. Right? How many of us go through life living like we get to do this forever? I have they I, I'm guilty yeah, of it. Yeah. I'm guilty of, of yeah. wasting an entire day because I think I got plenty more. I got plenty more of these mm -hmm. things. No. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. What a per, I mean, just, you know, and you, you hit on it earlier, Glenn, a little bit about just the way your perspective and Laura's perspective on life has shifted and whether it's 20 years or one year, who cares about the numbers? You have a beautiful opportunity now in front of you to live as a, as a husband and wife the way we should all be living. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Sorry, man. Yeah. I, you guys are... You guys need to be motivational speakers. You're about to blow my headphones. I know. Out. I'm sorry. I'm having sorry. to take them off when you start. All right. Going. I'm gonna get. No, I, I'm I, gonna get stop. unfired up. Just, yeah, just stop ahead, talking basket. for a second. When so I have a lot of follow up questions about lifestyle and prayer and the things, but I honestly don't know. Is that the end of this story? Like where we just kind of landed? Like now? Like what's going on now? Like, where are you at yeah. in all of this? And um, so now, oh gosh, where do we? <laughs> I mean, really, it like we we scan, we live scan to scan. Like, so there's never a time when they're like, well, at least as far as we've been told. Some of the doctors said when we the doctor we see we go to UAB. That's the um where we our neurologist is at UAB or our neuro oncologist or whatever they call him. But he. The first meeting we were in there, he said, you need to know that this type of cancer is uncurable by mankind. He didn't say anything else. He just looked us in the eye and he said, I need you to know that there is no cure for this cancer by man. So we, we obviously knew that like that he was saying is man, there's no cure for a man, but God can handle this. Like God's got like God will either this will either work because God wants it to, or it won't work because God wants it to. And they so, had put me in a bubble because oh. of COVID and, yeah, like, like locally didn't want me to work didn't you know they actually one of my doctors actually told me i could not work out because he said your body needs all the energy to try to heal and 
I'm like, if you take working out away from me, then you're taking away who I am. Yeah. If you take my job away from me, you take away who I am. And the doctor at UAB said, my job is to keep you yourself as long as you're here. Yeah. yeah and I was like, okay, I want to go back to work. And he was like, okay, um, maybe because I, I, they told me I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything up because they were afraid I was going to have um, seizures. I had not had any seizures, but um, they were afraid that I could because of the radiation anytime you're messing with the brain. And, and so um, I said, I want to go back to work. And he said, okay, maybe after you get off the medicine or something. And I said, no, I'm talking about tomorrow. Good for you. This and the he, first appointment we had with him. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. She's like already putting demands out. I go in stressed. I'm like, I'm so nervous about the question she's going to ask. She's just like, I'm going back to work. Oh, well, so, yeah. you know what? So, yeah. He said yes. He did. And I went back to work the next, the next day. day. And has and not been, missed a day ever. I've not, not missed one a day, day other than for like because she's felt sick. We've had to miss for doctor's appointments or other things, but she has never missed a day of work from the day he said she could go back. Yeah. And so when you're talking about having the will to fight, the will to live, and just to take the next step, and th- I think that's what I want to encourage people to do because I didn't tell this part of the story, but for radiation, you have to wear this mask, and I know that it's probably nothing for people, for most people, but for me, it was very bad when they made it it just is this mesh but it's hard plastic and it covers your face and you have it it clips down to the table behind you and so you don't move and like it's all covered and um when they were making it i freaked out and then i went back for the first day of radiation had it done and um it was very traumatic for me and um I had a an appointment with the doctor right after and he said well you know what's uh how was it and I was like it was very bad and so they said they would I said I just felt like I couldn't breathe and so they cut out around the mouth and then that way I could at least move my lips a little bit I could feel like I was breathing and that was a game changer and it was much better but the part I didn't tell you is, so one of my biggest fears ever, when I talk about going back and looking at my journal, when I look back at it, one of my biggest fears was losing one of my parents. I was They live in Tennessee, and I was just always so afraid that I was going to lose a parent. And um, three weeks after my diagnosis, my, um, my brother called and said that my dad had had a... a um, a mild stroke ended up that it was an aneurysm and um, he ended up passing away in just a few days. Mm. And so I called um, the doctors at the radiation and said, okay, I, cause I had to go every day. I had to go five days a week to get radiation. And so I said, I'm going to need to be in Tennessee. And they're like, you can't, you can't really miss. I mean, you can, but if you have to, but if there's any way you can be here, you need to be here. And I'm like, I knew that my daddy would want me to go take care of myself. I knew he would want me to do that, but it was hard to leave my mom. And so I would 
go into radiation and lay on that table with that mask smothering me every day with tears rolling down. I don't know if I ever got through one without crying, thinking about my daddy or thinking about my life because, I mean, it didn't take long and the radiation didn't hurt. I mean, it it lasted less than five minutes that I was laying there. It's a long time when when it's just you and your thoughts. Yeah. And you got nothing. You are faced you are faced with everything that's going on in your life and so but when I went through it with the first day that the mask I felt like it was smothering me I remember going in the next day and I was like I was so mad when I got home that I had responded that way that I was like being a crybaby and and the next day I was like it is not gonna win today this thing is not gonna beat me I, it's a mask, Laura, get yourself together. I do a lot of self, self-talking now. And so I was like, get yourself together and go in there. It's just a stupid mask. You can do this. And so, yeah, the hard things you can't control, but it's like, you just got to do it. You got to, you got to go. It's going to save you in the long run and just suck it up and do it. You know, I can remember walk that day, the second day and, she was so mad that she had not, like had not won the day before. Like she did, but she she was just like she was irate. And I can remember driving because I would have to pick her up. I jokingly said I would drive Miss Daisy around everywhere. And <laughs> I went and picked her up at work. We get there, and she's like, "It is not winning today." And I was I could not have been more fired up. I was like, like the things that I've seen in her that like make me fall like deeper in love every day. Like it's it's insane. Like you just like oh I love her. Oh no, I love her even more. Like it's just yeah. because those qualities of like a warrior that she shows every single day just blow my mind. And that was one of those moments. And in fact, I remember she went in and they had taken the they had given like space for her mouth to be able to breathe. And there was like she would never say this, but in my mind I was almost like she came out, she's like, Oh, they had made a hole for it. And I was like, and you were probably a little bit mad because it was like I was gonna win. But then that hole was there so I could breathe. So I didn't really have the chance to win the way I wanted to win. But yeah, she was so fired up that day. I was like, this is freaking awesome. Like, to get to watch your wife do that, yes, yeah. it was unbelievable. You, you know what You know what comes along with choosing to fight? What comes along with that? You're going to get knocked down sometimes, right? You're going to lose sometimes, yeah. right? That That's part of the choice. Yeah. You know what? Somebody that chooses not to get back up, they don't have to worry about getting knocked down again. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's easy about yeah. staying on your back. Yeah. That's what's so enticing about quitting. Mm-hmm. The fact that you get knocked down every now and then is yeah. evidence that you're still on your feet, that That's you're right. still yeah. you're still going, man. Yeah. Yeah. She, there was one workout yeah. that we did one day and I was it was toward the end of a cycle of chemo. So I had to take it for five days, usually the fifth day sixth day I didn't feel great and but I was doing the workout and you know I felt fine until I didn't feel fine you know how that kind of happens and um and I was like okay just finish quitting is not an option finish even though it might be slow just finish and so I remember when I finished I sat down and I started crying which I've only done that from a workout one other time it's when we I did my first 10K. I'm sorry. I know that's nothing to you. But <laughs> when I finished it, my body just responded. I don't know why I cried, but I just did. And I don't know why I was crying this day at the gym. 
But I just sat down and just started crying. And I was like wiping my eyes, trying to let nobody see, hoping they didn't see me. And the sweetest guy came over to me. He saw me and he came over and he said, hey, Laura, he said, can I help you put all your stuff up? And I was like, yes, please. (laughs) And so um, he was just so kind to me and just so caring. And then um, he put everything up and, you know, I sent him a text later. I'm like, I'm so appreciative of you. And, you know, I'd never seen that side of him before, but it was just a cool way to get to see him in a different way. And it was just cool. But, you know, that was the only day that I did that for whatever reason. And, yeah, I felt weak in the moment, but I went back the next day. So. Yeah. What's yeah. the roller coaster of living scan to scan? Have you guys been able to adapt to that emotion, or is that just something you have to learn yeah. to deal with? Yeah. Just deal with it. It's awful. Yeah, yeah it sucks. Yeah. Um, How often are they? In the beginning, they were every two months, and then once they were clear, now they're every three months. So I don't take any more treatments anymore. I'm, Fantastic. I'm done. No and um, Yeah, so, yeah, now it's living on faith. So the, um, the scans are getting a little bit, the time in between is getting a little bit easier. We thought that going every three months would be better. Because, you know, you don't have to go through that. But then I told Glenn, I almost feel like if you went, bef- like, every two months, at least then, you know everything's okay or yeah. not. But um, but it's hard. It used to creep up on me. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm off and I'm agitated. And then I'm like, oh, I got a scan coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it used to be like two or three weeks ahead of time I would start freaking out then it went to like every week this last time it was probably a couple of days before so it's I getting better out. it's yeah. getting better it's yeah. hard to come off of it because you, your body starts to adjust to living with anxiety I or can't stress. imagine so like I feel like I'm at my most I'm at my worst like two for the next like two or three days after a scan like so the first I'm, I'm nervous before, get ang- anxious, and then just letting your body start to re- recover from the the worry that you had. That's probably been the – so for me, like the two or three days after, even though we had just got great news, and so in the moment we usually can walk away. If they tell us quickly, this past time we waited an hour and 15 minutes, so we thought uh-huh. we had the scan, got in the office, and sat in the office for an hour and 15 minutes, and that was excruciating because we really – we didn't tell each other, but we were probably going through every possible bad scenario that could have happened. Yeah. And then he came in and he was like, sorry, we were backed up today. Scan looks great. Oh my gosh. You're good. See you in three months. Like literally we saw him for less than a minute and a half and he was, he, yeah. just, he was great. But and I walked out and started. we got in the waiting room and I said, I need a minute. And we sat down and my body just mm. released everything. It was just, terrible i felt bad because at uab everybody there is so sick and i'm sitting there crying because i got good news and anyway um okay you can't look at it that way oh yeah 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 Yeah. no she she has some thoughts sometimes i'm like girl like (laughs) you're okay give yourself a little bit of license absolutely to to be human it's okay yeah i keep going back to the fact that like 
I can't, I feel like we grazed over and didn't stop on the fact that during chemo radiation and having a big, huge mass taken out, like you still did cross and your dad died. died. You still worked out. Like, I want to know why that's so important to you. And like, where did you find most people who are going through chemo radiation? Don't do anything. They stay at home. They're told not to. Well, yeah, that's true. But I think it's a will thing too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they have the. I don't know. I've tried to figure that out. I don't understand how when people get a diagnosis, how they just stop. I don't know. That's just not my personality. Um, I mean, I literally felt fine, except toward the end of the chemo cycles. I didn't feel great. Um, But um, for me, working out makes me feel good. You know, mm-hmm. like when I'm done, I feel I feel better. You know, it helps me deal with my anxiety. And, you know, every, we have our, our little systems. Like before every scan, we go in on those mornings and we do a workout with some of our friends. And it just helps me feel like, okay, I've been around my people. I've dealt with my anxiety physically. Now I'm ready to go. Yeah. So. We even change the scan times if they try to get us there too early because we just want to be in our routine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what? so when the, so they told Laura she couldn't work out, she couldn't work, she asked the doctor, I want to work. He's like, you can work. Next day, she's working. So, like, she had to wait, like, 30 days after a surgery before she'd go back to the um, to working out. But she went to that doc, same doctor. She's like, I want to work out. He's like, work out. Like, my job is to make you be Laura. Go work out. A couple of months later. She's telling me, I want to do handstand push-ups. I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, can you just <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm more worried about what she's going to ask the doctor when we go in that room. And so she's looking at him and so he tells us all this stuff. And then she's like, I got a question for you. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, my stomach's in knots. Like this guy's going to think she is nuts. And he, she's like, he's like, you, you know what? She says, you know what handstand push-ups are? And he's like, I mean, I guess like when you like, get up in a handstand and like lower your head. And she's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, she goes, I, I want to do those again. I'm really good at them. I want to do them again. He's like, well, okay. Yeah. Do it. Oh it's not going to, it's not going to make your cancer grow back. So if you feel good the very next day, she's in the, in the room and she, she's doing handstand pushups and hasn't missed a workout. If there's handstand pushups in a workout, I guarantee you. Laura Getchell's going to be there doing handstand push-ups. That is yeah. epic. Yeah. So I always say, like, you're probably the only person in the history of the world that has GBM that's doing handstand oh, push-ups. Yeah. Oh, probably like, for real. Yeah. yeah. What about yeah. what about y'all's marriage? Has that been a big shift? Or have you, like you said, you've maintained some of the same habits and routines that got you through before. But, like, has that dynamic changed a lot? I don't feel like it has because of my diagnosis. Um I feel like it's different with both of the kids being gone. Um, I mean, we still have Hamza there, but um, <laughs> it's just different when your focus is all about the kids and it's not. But the diagnosis stuff, I don't feel, I feel like we're still just Glenn and Laura going along. Well, I, and I feel like Glenn hit on that in a powerful way earlier when he said the the opportunity to see Laura be the person she is being has made him fall deeper in love with who she is than Mm -hmm. he could have ever, um, before. And I will tell you, 
I am strong because it's happening to me. If this was happening to him or one of my family members, like one of my children, I would be a ama- I would probably be in bed under the covers. You know, and then I, so you know, I hear that when a it's lot. just me, yeah. it's like oh, whatever, whatever happens happens. It's just me. Um, but if it was one of them, it would be I would not be this way. Yeah, you know, and I, I and I I hear that, and I always think back and say, well. I would have thought before I was sitting in the side of the caregiver role, if this ever happened to my wife or happened to one of my children, I wouldn't be able to handle it. But just like the Lord gives her every like step, next step, he's doing the same thing for me. So like when people come up to me and they say, oh, man, I'm dealing with this problem. And they're like, oh, that's nothing compared to your problem. I'm like, look, your problem is your, is your problem at that very moment. I don't yeah. care if it's something I jokingly say. I don't care if it's a hangnail. Like if that hangnail is driving you nuts, that's your problem. Let's figure out how to handle it. Let's yeah. get through it that day because what we're going through may seem really large to a lot of people, but it's just what we're going through. And yeah. so, yeah, it's not like, so for me, I wouldn't have thought I could handle it, but then like I would, you know, like I would, I never want Laura to be going through this, but then Laura's even said this before to people. Like if the, the connection that she now has with the Lord because of what she's going through in some way, we wish everybody could feel this. We just don't want them to have to get GBM or yeah. something yeah. else to get there. But she wouldn't take back. I mean, I guess you would take back the diagnosis. Like, if we could figure out a way to do it differently, but yeah. it's just not the way the Lord works. And so, yeah. And yeah, I've yeah. definitely seen the Lord completely different. And I had another, some more things I had written down. But um, like when you talk about encouraging people, the thing that I have thought about the whole time that before coming into this is about God providing, always providing. That's I'm like, okay, that's the one thing I'm supposed to get out on this podcast is about how God provides. Um, so here comes another story. But um, <laughs> well, no, this is perfect. This is what I wanted to land the plane on. Yeah. Is, is, I the, think this the, is it. The meat, yeah. the faith, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, when I had the surgery and I was in the hospital, I woke up and one of my friends was there that worked in the hospital. And I said, the Lord just serenaded me with a song, a Carrie Job song called I Am Not Alone. And the like I woke up I know that that was playing over and over in my mind while I was sleeping God telling me you are not alone and I am always here with you and and so when I went into radiation and I laid on that table and I was strapped down by that mask I asked him can you please play Carrie Joe can you play that play her station on Pandora and um you know, the blessing and all those songs just kept coming up. And, you know, um, it's what carried me through those times. Um, when I would do Optune and i get in the shower and, and scrub my bald head. And, you know, that's the music I was playing. And so I feel like the Lord always was giving me messages through this music. And there was one night, it was getting closer to a scan. And... Um, I had written about this for, um, there's a magazine called Voices Over Cancer that William James does for Summit Quest, and he asked me to write for it, and 
right before I wrote for it, um, I had this thing happen. And so this is what I wrote about. So um, I was, when you ask about a bad day, it was a bad day. I was, something had made me spiral. And in my head, I was dying soon. And I was crying, crying, crying uncontrollably. Glenn was asleep, and I didn't want to wake him up. And so I just laid there praying. And I was like, Lord, can you please just come hold me and sing to me, serenade me like you did that night in the hospital room. And just sobbing, just that was my prayer over and over. Please just hold me and sing to me. And then a little while later, I just kind of wake up. I'm kind of in that in-between stage, but I'm kind of out of it. And I hear the song Jaira is playing in my head. And I remember waking up thinking, I've heard this song so many times before, but what does it mean? So I got up the next day. I was like, I need to remember, I need to, when I get up tomorrow, I need to study what Jaira is. I need to look at those lyrics of that song. And so I started reading the lyrics, and it was just crazy, you know, whenever I found out that it meant the Lord will provide. And I'm like, I prayed for a need. I prayed for the Lord to hold me. I prayed for the Lord to, to, to sing to me. And I hear that song being sung to me, and I'm in just peace, just perfect peace that, like, I didn't really feel that. And, like, I felt it before, but but just during this time, the way, I mean, I feel like God has not one time left me. Like, when, when you say I'm on a mission, it's like God is just carrying me through all this. I don't know how people get through crisis without the Lord. I have no idea. But then I started, I was like, well, I want to know about Jireh. And so I started looking up all the places in the Bible where, where he's referred, where God's referred to as Jireh. And, you know, it's like Abraham, when he was going to, um, to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord provided an animal so he didn't have to sacrifice his son. And then, you know, whenever they were in Exodus when the people were out. They didn't have any food, and God provided manna, you know, just at the right time. It's kind of going back to the Hunger Games. It's like, whatever you need, here it is. It just mm. drops down. The Lord always provides. And then the last thing that I had was a friend of mine had given me a hat that um, said seen on it, S-E-E-N, and I remember so many times looking in in the mirror at my bald head and just saying, God, do you even see me? And then looking up that one of God's names is Elroy. See, I see you. And then, um, and then um, whenever he talks about um, Jaira, the God who provides, and then the last one, was Rafa. Yeah. So um the God who heals. So through this time, 
the three different names of God, it's like I have experienced each one every step that I've been going through. So the God who the God who provides, the God who sees, and the God who heals. So I I don't I can't say like I str- one of my biggest struggles when I tell my story, do I say I have cancer or do I say I had cancer? I don't know. I don't know what to say. Um my doctor is very adamant every time we're there. He says, yeah, everything looks good, but you know the nature of this. It, you know, it can come back, which we're like, yes, we're well aware of that. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where we are now. That's our story. You know, that's it. It you laying that out tops the answer the, any question that I could have asked. Uh, you know, what made me think about what that made me think about, and especially when you talk about Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides, how does God provide? How, do, how does God provide? How does he promise that he will provide? He only promises that he will provide your daily provision. That's it. He, do, he doesn't make any promises of provision that I that I know of beyond that, your daily provision. And I don't know, Laura, you just made, you, 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 you stated that question of you, when you tell your story, what am I supposed to say? And your daily provision is being met. That was powerful, man. I'll just stop there because I got to process that. Well, yeah, if, so now my question is, I feel like, what am I supposed, you know, it's hard for me to call it a miracle because I don't know the, I don't know if this is going to come back next month. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, I have beaten the odds now. I was given 18 months now that I'm at the upper end of it. You know, it's, it's scary because, you know, now I'm at 19 months and I've, and I've made it this far. So I don't know if it's a miracle yet, but I feel like. Who you are is the miracle. Mm, amen to that. <laughs> it's just yeah. not. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's just who, who you, who you are. That, that, that's my perspective on it. I wanted to ask you both. And I feel like you kind of just answered it. So you might say, but like, I feel like there was so many amazing things you guys talked about that people could take. And like you said, with any problem, whether it be a hangnail and like, if you're speaking to thousands of people trying to tell them some of the main things that have helped you the most to get through this time for both of you, like, do y'all have something that, you know, jumps out at your mind? Yeah. For me, when I was going through this, I didn't want, people just to tell me what they thought or whatever. I wanted truth. And so I asked specifically for people to send me scriptures. And that's that was my lifeline. That's really cool. Like friends and fa- just people that want to yeah, support you? Yeah, just if I would write stuff when, because I type a lot, I'd rather do that than this. I like being behind the scenes. But yeah, or if people would say, what do you need? I'm like, please just send me scripture. Send me your favorite favorite Bible verses or whatever. And so when those, 
And, you know, they would come in at, when I needed them. You know, when you say God gives you your daily provision, it's like, yeah, like minute to minute. Come on. Yeah. What about you, Glenn? On the- I, think, um, I think my coping mechanism has just tried to, has been consistency, just trying to be, like, not let myself get out of routine, not let myself get out of the word, um, not let myself tell, like, don't let Satan tell me lies. So the more I can stay in the word, the more I can stay committed to um, living out my faith, that like that drives me like I get up in the morning and um, like usually hour or two before Laura and like I try to like I'll kneel by the bed and just like pray over her in the morning and I'm like like I in the in that minute I see like her humanity her fragility all those things and so in in that moment like I'm I'm empowered to um, to just like in my own way like I'm fighting for her but like I guess theoretically like how I fight doesn't like change a cell in her body you know like I can't fix that but I can do the things that I know I have control over to put it in the Lord's hands and then just try the best I can to just be super consistent with that and um, so I think for me it's just it is it's consistency and then like I get battled like so for me what's interesting is I love CrossFit but man like that's what Satan's trying to take away from me like he doesn't like the joy that I have isn't as much the workout as it is the people and the social side and everything. And by the time I end of my day, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've just been given into all the people that I work with. Now I got to walk in the gym and I don't want to be there. Like, I don't yeah. want to like, you'll see me sometimes I'll just walk in and go right to the back room and just get on a rower and just say, all right, punish yourself on this rower, but don't be around anybody. And so like Satan tries to take that away from me. So I have to like fight the urge to, to kind of wallow in, in this mess that we're in and just try like be consistent. Show up at the gym every day. I've told my buddies like, do not let me walk in this building and walk out without having exercise. I don't care if you strap me to a machine, but do not let me cave to that desire. So consistency, namely with the Lord, but then in my habits, to be, that's been really important for me. I feel like he yeah. gets left out of it a lot. Like, you know, everybody thinks you know it's happening to me, and so you know a lot of people reach out to me, but. You know, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that so much anymore. And so I feel like, you know, it's probably harder on him, but I think that he kind of gets forgotten about. That, that leads into a, a, and I'm going to stop. I know where you guys have to be at a meeting in a little bit, but like, what is the right, I've known people with really hard diagnosis or like people who are sick or going through hard things. What? what is helpful like what you know like i'm even awkward i don't know what to say i will tell you what not to say okay okay so so when you said that i started laughing because there's this thing that people do and i've named it the pity tilt what (laughs) all right i'm gonna show you so (laughs) people will see me they come up to me oh hey you know, how are the kids? How's Glenn? And then, like that, it changes. So, and I can feel it coming. I know when it when it changes. So I'm, they I'm, look hope at, I, I'm hoping I didn't do this. <laughs> so, they sit there, they look at me, and they're like, how's everything going? And then they stop, and then they turn their head like this, <laughs> and they go, 
how are you? Or how are you feeling? How are you feeling? That question, I cannot handle because it's loaded. I'm like, I always have to say, well, you know, physically I feel great. Mentally, I'm a mess because there were days, this is my other analogy, I feel like I'm in a thousand pieces. Like I'm a sheet of paper that's been ripped up in a thousand pieces of a thousand pieces and somebody's used scotch tape to put me back together. Not even duct tape, scotch tape. <laughs> and if you pull one little piece, it's all going to fall out. It's all going to fall apart and I'm not going to be able to get myself back together. So do not do the pity tilt. Don't turn your head and look at them like, I feel so sorry for you. And then, I don't know, other people may want to be asked how they're feeling, but it's how are you feeling that's so hard for me because it's loaded. It's like, yeah. you really want to know how I'm feeling? I'm pissed right now. I was about to say, in that moment, you probably wish you cursed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She may be cursing in maybe her head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I understand That's that, good though. word, man. Yeah. That's yeah. good word. And I got to go back to something because there's so many things in this that Laura said. She said, what did I want? I wanted truth. Thy word is truth. What she just said was such a powerful testimony to the, the, the word of God that it is, in fact, the only source of truth that we have here on this earth. And what she just said, just I've never heard it put that way. I wanted truth. So what do I want you to give me? I want you to give me the word of God. If mm. you want to send me something, don't send me your opinions or your sorrow or any give me truth man where do you find truth you find truth in the word of god and that's that man but yeah everything that i say outside the boundaries of that i don't claim it as truth it's my opinion and it was just a powerful testimony of that well um I think I have to pee. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go home and yeah. uh, and, and think about all this and and uh, I'm we just can. say a quick prayer for us, real quick. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother and sister here, um, and I thank you for the courage and the strength that you supplied, Lord Jesus, for us to all be able to sit down and listen to and and more so tell. Uh, this testimony, Lord Jesus. I pray that it would go forth into this world, uh, Father, that it would not come back void, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'd put this in the hands uh, of your children, your sons and daughters that need to hear it, uh, Father, and that it would lift them up, Father. And uh, Lord Jesus, we just glorify your name. We thank you for being our strength, Lord. Uh, we thank you for that daily provision that you give all of us, Lord. And uh, Father, we just thank you for dying for us and giving us eternal life, Father, and giving us the ultimate hope that gives us each the will to fight. And Jesus Christ, it's in your mighty name that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. 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 You're in trouble when you got to pee and it's Chad's turn oh, to pray. Man, I love you guys, yeah. man. Thank y'all so, so much. Thanks for thank having you. us. Yeah, it's great. Enough, enough said. Yeah.